great, great to have you here this morning. Thanks for those who are joining us online. Thanks for being with us. Um, I'm assuming you made it through Christmas. Uh, how many of you are in this uh, after Christmas, New Year's stupor? Where you don't really know what day it is. You kind of get up, you go eat peanut brittle. You, you take a nap and you think it's like the next morning, but it's really like 5.30. Anybody there? Okay, good. Well, let me just tell you, right now it's 10.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning, and we're here for uh, the kickoff of a new year, and I'm really glad you're here. Tomorrow uh, is 2024, and, and some of you are thinking, I never thought I would see 2024, and here we are. Uh, tomorrow is that day. We have before us 12 months, 52 weeks. 365 days, 8,760 hours, 525,600 minutes, and 31,536,000 seconds. Now, some of you, after hearing that, are either really excited or really tired. <laughs> what will we do with all this time? What would God have us do with all this time? Uh, last year, you may be saying at this day, last year, well, things are going to be different for 2023. I'm going to be a better spouse. I'm going to be a better parent. I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to make all these New Year's resolutions. How many of you last year made New Year's resolutions? How many of you thought you did and you can't remember if you did? <laughs> The new year does allow us to reflect on the past year and consider what this new year may bring. Uh, this morning we're going to be talking about wisdom, but before I do, I just want to give you maybe a helpful tool that I've used in the past few years. Uh, it's, a, it's a guide to kind of self-reflection over the past year. It's called The Great Examine. It's not mine. It's by Stephen Smith. Um, but the idea is it's an exercise to look back to also look within, and then also look forward. Um, and if you would like a copy of this, just see me afterwards. I can email you a PDF of that and maybe take some time to go over it with you, uh, you and your spouse, you and your family, just to hear, maybe reflect on what God has done in your lives uh, this past year and maybe what he wants to do. The examine goes through areas like spiritual and physical, emotional, vocational, relational, all these different areas, and it's just a good guide uh, to think about and rehearse what we just sang, the goodness and faithfulness of God. Um, so see me afterwards if that would be helpful uh, to think about where, where God has met you. We can all agree on this, I believe, this morning, is that navigating life with purpose and meaning takes intentionality, time, and wisdom. That navigating life with purpose and meaning takes intentionality, time, and wisdom. What is wisdom? Everyone needs wisdom. Young, old, all of us need wisdom. Wisdom helps us from making certain mistakes in life. And listen to how the wisdom of God is described in James chapter 3. But the wisdom of, from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits, unwavering, and without hypocrisy. 
Now, now let me just ask, is this the way you desire to live? Pure, peace, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. It's a great list, a great godly wisdom list of how we are to live. And if you'll notice that wisdom deals with how we live, not so much about what we know. And scripture says that the opposite of living with wisdom is living a life of foolishness. Without the wisdom of God, we make plenty of mistakes in life. And so may God, by the verses that we look at today, give us an insight into ourselves and into the life that he causes and wants us to live. Uh, The title of the message is Living With and Living In Wisdom. But before we do any further, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity you give us to gather together, even gather together in one service, where maybe some of the folks from the 9 o'clock can can meet some of the folks from the 11 o'clock and vice versa, just to be together, to be encouraged by one another, to rehearse as we sang your goodness, and at the same time, be ready to receive what you want for us in the future. God, we thank you for this time where you promised to be with us as we just celebrated. Emmanuel, God with us, you are with us this morning. That each person here is not here by accident, that you have brought them here, that we can be together with you. And so God, I pray this morning that you would, would find all of us with a heart that is so open, so ready to receive, with a mind so ready to receive from you what your spirit wants to teach us and show us about you, about ourselves, and about our lives. Would you take a minute and pray for the person in front of you or behind you or beside you that they would receive from the Lord this morning and respond to him? In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. You're going to read the first 10 verses of chapter 5, then skip down and read verses 15 through 17. And by the way, as you're turning there, if you don't um, have a Bible of your own, please, after the service, there's plenty of Bibles and devotionals on the outside back there, even Bible reading plans uh, for this upcoming year. Uh, Please feel free, if you don't have one, to take one as our gift to you. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10 Paul says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immortality immorality, or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, and there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because these things, the wrath of God comes upon those, uh, comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord." Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. 
Verse 15, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, from this passage, I want to look at three different aspects of what God desires for us to walk in the way of wisdom. We're going to be looking at these verses. Uh, also, a lot of verses in Proverbs. Uh, I'm going to give scripture references. So write down the scripture references. Maybe go back later this week and look at them. Um, three aspects of wisdom. The first is this, foolishness or wisdom. The second is made wise. And the third is the way of wisdom. Foolishness or wisdom. If you think about it, most of us agree that the opposite of wisdom is foolishness. And we see it in this passage, verse 15, not as wise men, but, un- uh, but as wise. In verse 17, so then do not be foolish. Now let me ask you this question, just to get our minds going, even though we may be in a stupor, just to get our minds going, how would you define a fool? What does it mean to be foolish? When you think of a fool, what comes to mind? Notice I didn't say who comes to mind. But what comes to mind? What is Paul talking about in these verses? Unwise and foolish. Unwise and foolish. My point is to contrast what it means to walk in God's wisdom versus our own or the world's foolishness. Now, foolishness, by a a dictionary meaning, is a senseless fellow or a dullard. Don't you like that word, dullard? But the biblical definition has added dimension as someone who disregards God's word. The Bible lists many characteristics of a foolish person, and in the same verses, contrasts that of a a person who is wise. Now, on a basic, fundamental, primary point, every one of us is born into this world, we come into it with, the terminal state of foolishness. That's how we are born. Man is born a fool. Now, what do I mean by that? It means that we are born with a state without God's wisdom or with a sin nature, separated from God in a situation we're born in where God's wisdom is absent from our lives. Most of the time we think of a fool, we think of somebody who's crazy or who is irresponsible, who speaks irresponsible words. But the Bible defines a fool as one who exists apart from God. And on the contrary, a wise one is one who lives in harmony with God. Now the biblical definition for those two concepts, I want us to get. That a believer can live, can live daily live as a fool because we can live sometimes as believers apart from God. I want to unpack this a little bit. There are certain characteristics that Scripture talks about uh, how we as believers are to walk in wisdom, but that sometimes we choose the foolish ways of of life. Biblical characteristics of a fool are this. Psalm 14, 1 says, Only fools say in their heart there is no God. Characteristic number one that of a fool is that they say there's no God. That's the beginning of it all. That's the first characteristic of it all. And it's not this intellectual, there is no God. It's this relational, 
this practical, this moral thinking, there's no God. Living like a fool, one author said, is practical atheism. So even though you know in your mind that there is a God, living like a fool is living like there is no God to actually influence your life. And we would call that foolish. Only fools say in their heart there is no God, and listen to what follows. They are corrupt, and their actions are evil, and not one of them does good. So a person that lives apart from God, what flows from that is dishonesty, immorality, sin, corruption. So the first characteristic of a fool is that they live in an anti-God living way. They live anti-God or as if God doesn't exist in their decisions, in their process of making decisions, in their relationships with their friends, with their family, with their spouse, with their kids, with their time management. They just live absent of God. The fool lives absent of God. First characteristic. One author said this, To a fool without God, foolishness, sin, is right. And righteousness, godly living, is foolishness or unfilling, unfulfilling. And so the first characteristic of a fool is that they practically deny God. The second characteristic, which kind of leads into it, of a fool is that they live unto themselves. And it fits. If there's no God, then I guess what? I make myself God. And I call the shots. It fits with Isaiah 53, 6. All of us like sheep have strayed. We have left God's path to follow our own. So the first characteristic, a fool says that there is no God. And the second characteristic, that, that fool says that basically I'm God. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. The fool then becomes the one who determines truth and error. They become the one who pronounces right and wrong for their way of living. And as a result of this, as a result of denying God, and as a result of setting themselves up as God, they will inevitably mock sin, which is the third characteristic of a fool. Proverbs 14, 9 of Proverbs Fools make a mock of sin. Have you ever been around somebody who mocks sin? They'll say things like, man, you should have seen me last night. You should have heard what I said to them. Oh, man, I can't believe I did that, knowing full well they're going to do it again. They just kind of mock sin. Just kind of, just kind of. Makes fun of it almost. And what do we say in response to that sometimes? How foolish. Why? Why is it foolish? Because fools make their own rules. They justify their own behavior. And then in the midst of that, the fools eliminate sin's consequences. Not only do they mock sin, but they eliminate sin's consequences. Now, I know this is just a happy New Year message, right? But we have to start recognizing some things about what it means to live as fools or what it means to live as wise. Fools mock sin and they also disregard their consequences. And, and let me just say this. As believers, I want us all to agree on this. 
because I think God wants us to all agree on this, is there, there is never a good reason to mock sin, to flirt with sin, to commit sin, or ignore the consequences of sin. Because when we do that, we forget what the penalty of sin was paid for by Jesus. And why would we ever treat Jesus that way in a sense of just mocking sin? Now, inevitably, the fool goes one step further, is that he always or she always talks about her own or his own opinions. Not only does a fool deny God himself, become his own God, mock sin, but has a dramatic effect on other people because all they do is like to talk about their own opinions. Again, what is a fool or who is a fool? I'm sure you're thinking of people in your mind, but just be careful. They may be thinking of you. Proverbs 15.2, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. I love that translation. It belches out foolishness. Now, there are people in your life, and there's people in my life, when they speak, you lean in and listen because they're wise. That's what this Proverbs is talking about. When they talk, their words are appealing, and you want to you know what they're saying. But there's other people. When they talk, you get burped on. They belch out foolishness. Proverbs chapter 1 sums up all this in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools, fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's the fifth characteristic that fools despise wisdom it's really the heart of the matter because wisdom in proverbs means that you agree and accept and submit to the instructions of god the wisdom of god in humility and wisdom is living out those standards and commands of god so let me just uh, clarify something that there is a remedy to foolish living that God has given us a way to live other than that of a fool, and we can be made wise. Verse 20 and 23, 20 through 23 of Proverbs 1 says this. Wisdom shouts in the street. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate. How long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish in your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Verse 23, it's a great invitation. Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you. And what? Make you wise. So here is God in Proverbs. Here's Jesus in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit now, crying out in the streets, this invitation, come to me. Stop living unto your, unto yourself. Stop being your own God. Stop being uh, uh, dismissive of sin. Stop denying that I exist. Come to me. I'll share my heart with you, and I'll make you wise. There is a better way to live than that of a fool. It's the way of wisdom. And the way of wisdom is the way of God and his plan. God's redemption is the only thing that can change this.
2 Timothy 3.15, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom, the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus. The wisdom and salvation are found in the knowledge of scriptural truth. It's the saving act of God that brings godly wisdom. Paul says this in Ephesians 5, You were formerly in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. When you and I became believers, believe it or not, we were made wise. And some of you are going, really? Really? Salvation brings wisdom because we get Jesus. And Jesus is the wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.30, By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Watch this just for a second, what Paul's saying to the church at Corinth. When you and I received Jesus, he made to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption all at one time. These were not earned. These were not a reward. This was given to us at salvation when we accepted Christ. At the moment of salvation, we are wise, righteous, set apart because of redemption. First, Second Peter 1.3, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Colossians 2.3, In him, Jesus, lie the hidden, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2.10, You are complete in him. At the moment of salvation, at the moment of salvation, with this whole gift of salvation, we became wise. You cannot have salvation without wisdom. You cannot have salvation without righteousness. You can't have salvation without sanctification. Jesus gives all of us these things. Titus 2, 11 and 13 says this, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Verse 12, And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with what? Wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. When we became believers, when we get saved, when the Holy Spirit enters our life, He teaches us what? To say no to ungodliness. Why? How? Because He's given us wisdom. And we know the difference. We're no more fools. We're wise. And so Paul says, walk that way. Walk in wisdom. Now, I'm not saying that we don't ask for more wisdom, particularly in situations or circumstances with the people that you work with, with the people you live with, with the surroundings that you have. We always are asking God, depending on God. James 1.5, but if any of you lacks wisdom, how many is that? Just one person lacks wisdom? It's been a great 2023 for y'all, really. If any of us lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him ask of God, who gives to all generously without a reproach that be given to him. We must grow in wisdom. We ought to grow in grace. There is to be an increasing of revelation of wisdom in our lives. 
And even though you may not know all things in the Bible, God's Spirit resident in you from the moment of salvation will convict you and convince you of the righteousness of sin that's revealed in the Bible. It's there as believers. Christ has made you and I wise by his Spirit. And therefore, we are without excuse as believers to not walk in wisdom. Which brings us to our last point, the way of wisdom. Notice the tone Paul uses in this phrase in chapter 5. Be careful how you walk. Make the most of your time. Understand what the will of the Lord is. It's almost like a parent talking to children. These verses are verses of purpose. Be careful. Make the most of your time. Understand God's will. If you were to look back over last week, last month, last year, what would you say that you were intentional about? That you were intentional, deliberate, purposeful, focused, planning. What were you intentional about? I asked a few people this week. Were you intentional about being wise? Wise in how you live, wise in how you treat people, wise in this situation. Have you ever felt this in life, that life just happens to you? Like you really don't have a whole lot of control, just life just happens to you. Feels like your calendar happens to you. That your plans are not your own, that the other things, other people dictate. We all have responsibilities, but even in our responsibilities, I believe God calls us to be intentional. Intentional, purposeful. And here's some areas I think we need to be intentional in regards to our relationship with God. We need to be intentional to trust God, to love Jesus, welcome the Spirit, and consume the Bible. Being intentional about reflection and prayer, rehearsing God's promises in His Word. I want to take a side note just for a second and say this. I have heard a number of times from a number of different believers say this, I am not under the law, but under grace. And I cannot agree with you more. And I want you to know, the context of that phrase is about our salvation. It's about our justification. That there is no way any of us could have kept the law. And Jesus came out of God's grace to give us salvation. But many times when we say that phrase or we hear that phrase, there is this, this thing inside of us that goes, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. Meaning that I don't have to worry or look at God's commands. And I just want to make sure that that's not the case in Scripture. That yes, we are under grace, not the law when it comes to our salvation. But as far as our obedience... As far as our following Jesus, the law is there for us. That's why James says, be doers of what? The word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. He looks at himself, goes away, and forgets what he looks like. Because God wants us to do his word. But it's not about salvation, it's about obedience. So we can't throw out God's law or God's command. 
So we have to be intentional about trusting God, loving Jesus, welcoming the Spirit's work in our lives, and consume the Bible. Consume God's laws. Consume God's commands and His directions. Another area to be intentional about is one that's not talked about very much is to practice Sabbath. We live in a dangerous, fast-paced culture. And Scripture over and over says, be still, pause, take time. What do we learn in Sabbath? We learn in Sabbath that we're loved. Deeply, unconditionally loved. I was at a pastor's conference a couple months ago. One of the pastors says, have you spent enough time with God to know that he loves you unconditionally so you don't have to frantically look for it from other people? Sabbath gives us a time and a space to hear over and over again how much we're loved. What would 2024 look like for you if you were intentional about practicing the Sabbath? And some of you will look at me and go, I don't know what that means. Let me just give you four things to think about for the Sabbath. In the Sabbath, we become still not hurried, not moving around. Less is more. Just to sit for a few minutes. And in that sitting, there's silence. We still the noise. We put up the phone. We put up the computer. We put up people. We just shut it all out. We're still and we're silent. And we're by ourselves in solitude to take a walk. And we begin understanding this rhythm And let me just, if you're wondering, busyness is not a healthy rhythm. How many of you have been driving on the interstate, maybe 95, and you realize that the signs are huge? Like the exit signs are really big. How many of you got parked on 95 anytime this, and you realize when you got beside these signs how big the letters were? Well, there's a reason for that. Because when you're going fast, you have to have big letters. You can't read the small print. But when we slow down, When we stop, we can realize how big God is, and we can read the fine print of our hearts with him. God has set a rhythm all around us, and part of our rhythm needs to be a part of the Sabbath. The other area to be intentional is simply pay attention who you're listening to. I read a quote this week that I thought was had some pretty good wisdom to it. It said this, Stop letting people who are not obeying God give you directions in life. Who or what are you listening to right now to give you direction and purpose in life? The Bible warns, Proverbs 14, 7, stay away from fools, you won't find knowledge from their lips. So we need to ask ourselves, who am I listening to? Who am I listening to? Who am I submitting to? Spouse, kids, friends, podcasts, social media, the news, Who am I listening to? And all those may be fine, but we have to back it up to Scripture. Does it match up with God and His Word? Proverbs 13, 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Anybody been there? It's foolish to try to walk the Christian life to become more like Jesus on your own and by listening and submitting to the advice of the ungodly. 
Now, Paul uses this word walk in this passage. He doesn't say sit. He doesn't say lay down. He says walk because it is a daily living out of wisdom. He says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Careful in this word means take notice, be prudent, pay attention, be guarded. Why? Because we live, you don't have to look very far to know that we live in a day and a culture where we as believers have to walk in wisdom. One author said it this way, you and I literally are literally walking through a minefield in this world and you can't just go traipsing through it like you were lollygagging in a meadow full of daisies. Right? You have to be careful. Pay attention. Every believer here Every believer here has the wisdom of God. Every believer here has the wisdom of God. And here's what Paul says to, Timothy, uh, to the church at Philippi, Philippi. Only conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, our walk needs to match our position of wisdom. Do you know how many times I've heard believers say, well, I know what the Bible says, but... Let me just tell you, on the other side of that butt, it's not good. It's contradicting to Isaiah 30, verse 21. Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to go right or to the left. Whose voice are you listening to? In my life, I have concluded I can play the fool with three different Ds. I can simply disbelieve God. I can be disobedient to his commands. And I can desire for the wrong things. And all those things will prove my life will be foolish. And so the words of Wilbur Chapman, he's an evangelist, a contemporary of Billy Sunday, he said this. The rule of my life, this is what I want to adopt for my life, maybe yours. The rule that governs my life is this. Anything that dims my vision of Christ or takes away my taste for the Bible study or cramps my prayer life or makes Christian work difficult is wrong for me and I must, as a Christian, turn away from it. If you're looking for a resolution for 2024, that might be it. James 3, but the wisdom of, from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. I want more of those to show up in my life in 2024. This morning I want to close with an invitation, an invitation to think and pray, to be intentional and submissive, attentive, and maybe have a heart of confession for the foolishness that maybe we've participated in. It's been said that confession is a portal. It's God's doorway that leads into a new world for our transformation. It's almost like on this side is sin and hurt and pain and foolishness. And then their confession leads to a new transformation of freedom and life. And confession is simply agreeing with God. That's the wisest thing we can do. And we don't do this much at Grace, but we're going to do it this morning is we're going to make this front stage area an altar. An altar is a place of sacrifice. 
It's a place of transformation, and it's a place that is pleasing to God. In the Old Testament, there were literally hundreds of times that you hear about being, things being sacrificed on an, on an altar. Sixteen different occasions in the book of Leviticus, after the sacrifice was made, there was this aroma that went up to God that pleased God. The aroma always had to do with sacrifice. And just like we read in our passage this morning, it's also what Christ did, that he gave himself up for our sacrifice. And what does it say? That that sacrifice was a pleasing aroma to God. And just like that, we sacrifice, just like Christ, we sacrifice, 2 Corinthians 2.15, so that our lives are like a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. And so I want to call everyone here to open their hearts up to the Lord and respond to him with a renewed surrender sacrificial heart. Seth and the team are going to play. They're going to make their way to the front. And while they play, this, this altar is for you. There'll be some elders and some folks up here to pray with you. If you want to pray with you, you can come by yourself. You can come as a family. And, and let me just say, and, and, and sort of what Joe said earlier, this is not a time to make a New Year's resolution. This is not a time where I'm going to do better this year. I'm going to, I'm going to do right. It's not about you. It's about God and what he desires for you. And so there's a call this morning for us to commit to what God wants to do in us and through us. A time to listen, to move from foolishness to wisdom. And let me just say, if you're here this morning and you've never, ever accepted Christ as your personal Savior... I want to be honest and say you're living in a world of foolishness. And God is standing on the streets saying, come to me. There is a whole new world of wisdom available to you through Christ. And if you're here this morning, may this be the morning you come. What what better way to start the new year than to surrender our lives to Christ? That he would take it all, fully submitted. Let me pray for us, and Seth and the team's going to play. God, thank you for this morning. God, I pray that as we pray at the very beginning, that you would find us open and ready to receive from you and respond to you. God, your spirit this morning, I'm sure, has been working in the hearts and minds of the people here. And I pray that you give them clarity encourage to respond that they would come as a statement of faith to this altar of sacrifice that they would experience this portal from confession to freedom and they would walk in wisdom and we'll trust you with that in Jesus name amen as the music plays you come as the spirit leads